Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Heidi Dunstan. She is a grief advocate and educator and an international best-selling author, and she runs an event management business. Heidi, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. I appreciate you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. It's great to be here and an honor. It is my pleasure, my honor. So thank you for taking and making the time to be here. I am so excited to jump in. We've been trying to get this conversation done for a while. So it's nice to finally have you here. So with that being said, let's jump in. How long have you worked in the event management space and what is the name of your event management company? Oh, goodness. I have been (laughs) in event management for probably almost 20 years. And I used to work for other companies. I used to contract out. I've done everything from two-person meetings to 1,500-person conferences. My company name is Summit Designs Limited. And I have been in business, I think I just hit eight years. Congratulations. This this week, eight years. There you go. Congrats. Good for you. And so what inspired your journey into the world of event management? And starting your own business, focusing on managing and running events for people? Oh gosh, this podcast isn't long enough for that question. (laughs) So I actually, I have a degree in community rehab and disability studies. So I worked with people with disabilities for 20 years. And part of my job was I did a lot of recreation. So lots of planning, lots of fun. I did a lot of fun. And so I got really good at planning and the details and things like that. And at one point in my career, I had two ladies with disabilities that lived in my home. And my home was kind of like the respite central. So on weekends, their friends would all come and stay. So sometimes I'd have six adult women with varying disabilities staying at my house. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. We made cookies and we sang Christmas carols and we did crafts and we watched movies. It was a blast, actually. It was a really cool part of my career. But I got really good at planning details and I ended up getting a job, like a regular job after I was done university, kind of program management and lots of detail stuff. And then one of my university profs hired me to be an event assistant and it kind of spiraled from there. And I'm like a duck. Nobody can actually tell when I'm stressed. (laughs) And so I float on the water, even though my legs are paddling really fast. And so it's just kind of been a thing. My mom does a career. Yeah, it's kind of, that's why I was like, this podcast isn't going to be long enough. My mom is event management. So sometimes she hires me to help her out. Then there's times that I've hired her to help me out. Yeah, kind of a crazy story. So I started my business eight years ago, more as a virtual assistant graphic design. And then COVID, I had to pivot because most of my clients were facilitators and people in front of rooms and they weren't really sure how to do that online. And I'm really good at 
with that stuff. So I pivoted, started doing online event management. And then one of my online event management clients was like, hey, we're taking the show on the road. And so now I travel a week a month and I hang out and run shows all over the world. Holy shit. Never a dull moment. What a journey. Yeah. (laughs) From having up to six women living in your house with you, cooking, baking, crafts, to traveling the world with an event management. Crazy, hey? Yeah. (laughs) It's incredible. Of course, event management often involves collaborating and working with various clients, vendors, team members. How do you foster effective communication and build strong relationships to ensure successful outcomes? So I'm not the typical event manager because most people are in silos and they're like, you do your job, I do my job. I look at everybody that I have to work with as part of my team. And it kind of freaks people out. I know you used to work in events as well, but on the tech side, I have done big events where my guys were videoing a conference all day and they then had to do almost eight hours of teardown in another room to set up for the next day and they'd have to video the next day as well so they basically were not going to get sleep and I walked into the room and they're like we've got these massive curtains to take down we've got all this stuff and I said okay what do you need to do so that you can get six hours of sleep tonight and they're like Heidi that's not possible based on I said we're changing it. I said, I need you to sleep. And they're like, who are you? And what have you done with our event manager? (laughs) And that's just how I work. So everybody's part of the team. We recently did an event in San Fran that just had a huge windstorm and we film our events. And all of a sudden the tree pruner guys are coming and cutting down branches that are going to fall. And I was like, hey guys, is there any way that I can give you my break schedule and you guys do that on the breaks? All those power tools are really loud. (laughs) And the banquets lady comes and she's like, you already talked to the tree pruner guys. We thought you'd be vibrating. I'm like, dude, I know that you don't have the, you're not in charge of the tree pruners. Like, And they're not in charge of you. We all work together. And they're like, you're the coolest event planner ever. (laughs) (laughs) Because normally an event planner would rip a new one and and I'm just not that person. I'm like, let's just figure it out. That's it. Well, we have to collaboratively work together. This is an event. There are many different people involved. So why not work together? It's way more fun. Yeah. Well, it makes the event go smoother as well. Yeah. And everybody wins. So yeah, I have fun at what I do. I chose to go into business eight years ago after a huge oil and gas layoff. I was working in oil and gas and then got laid off with 20,000 people on the same day. And I was playing in business is what I was telling people. I had a couple contracts and nothing major. And I was like, incorporate, go big, go home. And I've been doing it since. So Oil and gas, women. What the fuck, Heidi? Is there anything well, you haven't done? Well, I was planning events in oil and gas. It was easy. They, they still have events. Yeah. So yeah, training events. Yeah. Never a dull moment. Working, of course, as an event manager and running events is and can be very high stress with long hours, of course, demanding clients. How do you prioritize work-life balance and take care of your own well-being while running a successful event business? Sometimes I don't. <laughs> I'll be honest. If, if you want a vulnerability post, sometimes yeah. that sometimes it's definitely that there are times that I'm running on empty. And so, yeah, definitely. I mean, because I travel, I also change my mindset. It's like I get to travel. I don't have to travel. And so it's okay. You know what? I'm on a plane. I don't have to connect to the internet. I can actually take time and decompress. I'm not a huge person that watches TV, but when I do, it's usually when I'm on an airplane. So I will download shows that I want to watch and I watch them and I just kind of decompress that way. I read, I meditate. I have a 
I, I practice gratitude every single day. Gratitude's a big part of my world. And I always look to have fun. All through COVID, life was pretty tough. I mean, yeah. I was a year into grief at this point, and now I'm by myself in a house, and I'm not allowed to see or talk to, see and touch people. And so I, I posted an inappropriate joke a day on Facebook, and those jokes are still going. They're now just in a private Facebook group because they offended some people. <laughs> but I did it because I believe the world was too serious. Laughter is a big part of my world. If I'm not laughing, I'm not having fun. So I always am trying to laugh. So yeah, I love that outlook. Look, and that's a big mindset shift for sure. In order to stay ahead of the curve, obviously, innovation, creativity, these are very crucial pieces of event management. And in order to deliver unique and memorable experiences for your clients, how do you stay in the know and think outside the box to constantly come up with fresh ideas? My degree in rehab and working with people with disabilities has probably given me some of the biggest superpowers that I have is one, I'm really good at seeing people's needs before they need them. And when you work with people with disabilities, you sometimes have to because they don't have the ability to communicate that. And two, I'm pretty intuitive. And so I trust my gut a lot. And it's when I don't trust my gut that it usually (laughs) fails me. But yeah, so I would say that those are my two biggest and my third biggest superpower is that I'm really good at holding space for people exactly where they're at. And so, for example, I had a speaker on stage last week in the UK and I knew that it was going to be a tough talk. This person was delivering their story for the very first time and as I'm micing them up, they're emotional. And I know that there's trauma there and I knew there was PTSD just knowing a little bit about them. And I do my best to learn who's going to be on my stage and kind of get a sense. And I said, hey, understanding about PTSD, I'm concerned that you may go there on stage. And so here are some tips and tricks that I use with my own PTSD. Is this something that would benefit you? And it was something as simple as I have some peppermint oil. If we put it on your wrist and you feel like you're going down that deep, dark hole, can you smell it? No, that smell wasn't back in those days. And the person was like, yes, please. Here's my wrists. (laughs) And it was also a visual cue for me that I know if they were smelling their wrists that, and I saw them on stage doing that, that I'm like, I need to watch where they're going. Yeah. And so I tend to go in places where most event managers won't go. Obviously, that's a huge, well, that's what makes you unique. That's what makes you the event manager that you are and why people want to work with you. And it's such a pleasurable experience working with you. I mean, I've seen you at work at multiple events, albeit all virtual, but you're a magician and you have this ability to keep shit on track, keep shit moving at the pace it needs to, rein people in when they need to be reined in, and keep people calm. It's an incredible skill set. And you're pulling from your tool belt, your toolbox to help others, which is incredible. I'm always inspired and amazed when I see you running events. You're a magician. Those events are always fun because I'm literally (laughs) running two Zoom rooms at the same time. So I have two earbuds. With I listen to two different conversations for three days straight, which if anybody's listening to this, they're probably like, okay, I need to drink now because that drives most people to drink. But it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. I I finish those events and I'm pretty tired, but they're so much fun. And I love seeing the transformation. I know that as much as I'm behind the scenes in a lot of those events, I'm not quite behind the scenes because the people that have me supporting them, I'm their right hand. So they're like, hey, Heidi. So it's it's not like I'm the man behind the curtain or anything. But it's fun. I love watching people transform. I love watching them being able to take things to a new level. And and I know that these events do that and we get to do it in a really cool way. But you are behind the curtain as well because there, you're doing a lot of shit that people have no idea what you're yeah. doing, but you are also front facing. You're on camera and helping people and all of these things. So you're on both sides of it. 
which yeah. is incredible. Yeah, it's I've fun. seen you at work, and like I said, I think you're a magician. <laughs> you do incredible work. <laughs> Thank you. That's a uh, that's kudos coming from you. I know that you've, <laughs> you've been in lots of big events, massive events. Thank you. I appreciate. That. I'll accept that compliment. <laughs> Beautiful, Heidi. What do you love the most about your career as an event manager? I love the fact that I get to impact people without having that direct face. I'm the pivotal person that make sure that all the pieces are in play. I love the challenge. I love the fact that you got to think creatively. There's times where shit doesn't work and you've got to be on the ball. I love it. It's cool. Pulling and rabbits out of hats. <laughs> yeah. I, I pull something out of something. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> That you do. I have seen it in action. Yeah, but I love it's never the same day twice. Everybody says, oh, well, this is the schedule. And I'm like, that is the guideline, right? Let's crumple that up and throw that in the circular file. Yeah, well, it's a guideline. And I always say to people, nobody knows what it's supposed to look like. And it will be what it'll be. And I've had shit storms and catastrophes at events and nobody's died. That's exactly it. I mean, really... When we look at the whole event management, and this is something I learned early on in my career with event management or event being part of, I didn't production, know, yeah. being part of the production side of it. We are not brain surgeons. We are not saving anyone's life here. It's an event. Yeah. Shit's going to happen. There's nothing that we can do about some of these things. You just got to continue on. And yeah. that's it. There's no point in getting pissed off and freaking out. It, it's like you said, the people there don't know what's supposed to be happening for yeah. the most part. So you just roll with it and recover. Yeah. And people always, they, they, especially online events, what's the schedule? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you don't get the schedule. I'm like, because things happen and you're going to be like, hey, I wanted to see someone there at one o'clock and they weren't on at one o'clock. And I'm like, yeah, so-and-so's internet died and I had to move them to five o'clock and you just do it. So if they don't know, they can't be upset with me. That's my biggest thing. I want people to be happy with me. I want them to laugh with me. I don't want them upset with me because they've missed out on something. And I want people to have transformational experiences where they get to do some amazing things. I mean, that last event that you and I were a part of that three-day event. I mean, yeah. Every day we did podcast pitching and people got to write their pitches and they got to pitch big name podcasters. And it was really cool to watch how it transformed over three days. I love it. It's cool. It is transformational for some of these people that are attending these events and that's what you want. So the ultimate goal is to see that transformation, to be part of that transformation. And that's what happens. It's amazing to witness. It really is. It is. And it's really funny because sometimes people go in the other room and they end up talking to me because they have a whole bunch of questions that really I'm the only one that can answer. <laughs> and they think I'm like a rock star or a movie star. And it takes you are, like, though. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so not. I'm just like an everyday person. I love people where they're at. They're like, Heidi, oh my gosh. And I'm like, dude, I'm a normal person. Just <laughs> But see, that's what makes you the amazing human you are and the joy to work with because you are so down to earth and you don't see yourself that way, but you really are with what you do. I never want to be that person. The reality, Brad, is my shit still stinks. Like (laughs) reality, I am human like everybody else. And I said that on a podcast. Wow. Well done, Heidi. (laughs) I'm proud of you, Heidi. Good job. I love people. And I love people that have good hearts and good intentions. And I will always go above and beyond for somebody that is kind and compassionate and just wants to make the world a better place. Well, I've seen you demonstrate those qualities time and again. So you are a rock star. In my mind, you're a rock star. 
And thank I appreciate you, thank you. On the flip side of that coin, though, Heidi, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts of the event management business that you run? The challenge would be, I would say time. I definitely could use more hours in my day if somebody has that recipe and not just like <laughs> the T-H-Y-M-E time. I would love it. I always seem to fall short of that piece. Yeah. And then not a lot challenges me. I look at everything. I mean, I was running an event last summer or last was it last summer or last winter? And I'm about to start. We're five minutes from start and three quarters of a cup of water comes down from the ceiling onto the podium and laptop. <laughs> and my AV guy is standing up in the corner and I was like, hey, we got a problem. <laughs> and I mean, again, the big fuck word comes out. Really? And, I, and he comes down and says, what's the problem? I'm like, I, I guess the shower I had in my hotel room didn't really count because I got another one. <laughs> and he looks up and he goes, oh, fuck. And he goes, oh, wait. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I said it too. Don't you worry. And and he was like, you're not upset with me. And I'm like, no. I mean, I can have water pouring down on my PowerPoint computer. Yeah. And I have another computer in my bag. We figure it out. We move the podium. We yeah. start 10 minutes late. Shit happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just challenge no. People that come in and they treat me poorly, that's probably not the best thing. Some yeah. people think I'm there to serve them. And yeah. When they treat me like that, they definitely get a different Heidi than most people do. There you go. But see, again, this speaks to who you are as an event manager. It's realizing, again, that this is not brain surgery. We're not saving anyone's life here. We're running events and shit happens. That's it. Right now, I mean, I think I have the coolest job on the planet. I travel the world having people who are trying to get their message out. I'm putting them on stage. So literally, I'm pushing them on stage to help make their dreams come true. How cool yeah, is that? That's phenomenal. Like, I just came back from the UK, and I was like, hey, go make your dream come true. <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes I'm holding them beforehand because they're crying. Sometimes they come off stage and they're crying. It's fun. I just get to love people where they're at. And it just leans into all the grief work I do too. So it's cool. Which is a great segue because now I want to dive into that world, a little different side of Heidi that a lot of people actually don't even know that this is part of your life and part of your trajectory, part of your path. So let's, I want to dive in and speak about that journey for you into working in the world of grief. You and I have had multiple conversations around this topic. And I think that I can safely say that we both wholeheartedly agree that this topic is taboo as it is in Western culture. The discussions need to be had in order to help people normalize the discussions. So with that being said, can you talk a little bit about your world working with grief and as a grief advocate and educator? Yeah. So maybe I'll back it up and and say how I ended up in the grief space Mm -hmm. and and tell a little bit about my story. And so all of us have grief in our life. Grief is everywhere. You lose a dog, you lose a job, you move away, your kids move out of your house. There's grief everywhere in life. Grief is a normal response to loss or change of any kind. So all of us grieve through COVID. And I've had significant losses in my life. Early on as a teenager, I lost my grandfather and I lost my father, who I was estranged from because he just wasn't a healthy person. But there's a whole different grief in that as well. But almost five years, four and a half years ago, I lost my husband unexpectedly. He had a massive heart attack two days after Christmas and the day before my 40th birthday. And it was unexpected. He was an amazing man. His name was Mike. And I learned pretty damn quick that in our world, we don't know how to hold space for people that are grieving, that people often said things not ill-intentionally, like not with malice, but they just said things that missed the mark. 
So I understand grief. I went through divorce. That's not an appropriate thing to say to somebody who's lost their husband. Because it's just, it, it, yes, there's grief in divorce, but they're sure. not this. I had people, I mean, I wasn't even home from the hospital two hours. Yeah. And I had somebody come over with a bottle of rum and a plastic plant that said, live, laugh, love. <laughs> what would make someone think that is comforting, appropriate? Like, Yeah. Uh, I mean... My husband's funeral took a couple of weeks to plan because of the holiday season. His service was on a Friday. And on a Sunday, one of my clients who was at his service, so she fully yeah. knew he had died, sent me an email. The list of things to do for Heidi is growing. Are you going to be able to do it or should I find somebody else? What do you think the answer to that question? There wasn't like, even a hello in my response. It was like, find somebody else, period. Unbelievable. But I mean, that was her mentality. Her yeah. thought was the service is over. You should be done grieving. When are you back to work? Wow. Right? And as I started to, and I'm somebody, for me, I believe grief is as individuals are fingerprints. And for me, as I moved through grief, I needed to be around other people who had been through this. I needed to know what the hell I was getting into because fuck, I felt like I was going crazy. And as I spent more and more time in social media groups with young widows, I learned that my story is minor compared to many of the other stories out there and that people say things or don't say things at all and that it's common. And I really realized that it wasn't people's ill intentions or that they were being malicious. It was that they'd never learned. And yeah. so I started learning about grief. I took David Kessler's grief educator program. And I mean, my degree, I mean, when I finished my degree with rehab, I had a double mind, like it could have been a double minor in psychology. So I've learned about grief along yeah. the way. And I just said, I don't want to go and help grievers. We're all grieving in life. Yeah. But the reality is if we don't start affecting change and learning how to teach people what to say and not say to somebody who's grieving, it is going to stay the same. It is going to be the people writing the sympathy cards, sending the casserole, going to a service and maybe sending some flowers and then saying or doing the wrong things and not being able to help people. So that's my mission is I created a program called Lean Into Grief. And it's for those moments when you feel like you should run away and not say anything and cross the street. Those are the moments when you're supposed to circle back and actually lean in and support them and be there for them and hold space. And it's uncomfortable. It's yes. sticky. It is. It's hard, but guess what? The people that leaned in for me, my neighbor who held me while the firefighters worked on Mike in my driveway, he showed up the next day with the Costco-sized case of Kleenex, the really good Kleenex. <laughs> the really soft stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the Kleenex with the potion. Right? Yes, like, yes. You know what I mean? And he knew, like one, he knows I'm a sprinkler. I cry all the time. And so it was a, a useful sprinkler. <laughs> I leak all the time, man. I'm always crying. So showing up with Kleenex. I had another friend who actually I just saw him at the Gatwick Airport and he was running a big event. He was like the big headliner. It was his event, 500 people in the room. And he saw me. It was about six months after Mike died and he just grabbed me and held me. And I cried. I'm sure that I left some biological fluids on his <laughs> like my, my face was a mess. And he just held me and held me until I stopped crying. And I saw him just... Oddly enough, he was arriving at Gatwick and I was leaving Gatwick all at the right. same time. And I was like, you have no idea how much that hug meant to me. The fact that you, in the middle of running your own event, stopped time to hold space was so beautiful. And four years later, I still remember and cherish it. It's incredible. It's powerful. And like you said, I think that is the biggest piece is people don't know what to say or how to handle those situations. It's not through any fault of their own, but this is where your work comes in and it yeah. the importance of it. It is so important 
that we educate people on how to handle and deal with people who are dealing with grief. I lost 30 pounds in the first three months after Mike died. And everybody Jesus. was like, you look fabulous. Wow. No, Brad, it wasn't like I'm not a skeleton. I needed to lose 30 pounds, but it was probably not the best way to do it. And everybody was like, wow, you look amazing. I had one friend who was like, is it because you're not eating? There you go. And I said, my memory is so bad that if I put two pots on the stove, I burn yeah. both of them. Or the fact that it just didn't feel good in my stomach. I always felt nauseous. And I hate eating alone. I hate yeah. it. Yeah. I've had to get good at it because I eat alone yeah. often now. But right. she was like, I'd like you to come over for dinner. And why don't you actually spend the night? We'll watch a movie. We'll have popcorn. If you want ice cream, whatever. And then she goes, and if you're okay, I'd like to send you home with leftovers. There you go. That you just have to heat up and just saw instead of, oh, wow, you look fabulous. Hey, is there something that I can help you with? And a beautiful way to hold space. It's those kind of things that can go such a long way for somebody to feel seen. Yeah, it was great that my pants, I was wearing a smaller pant size, but the reality was, is I was not feeling good. And to yeah. be told that I looked good actually didn't resonate for me. And you know what? Sometimes not saying anything is okay. Just to be there like your friend did for you. Let's just watch a movie, something to take your mind off of it, just to distract yeah. you and to be there to support. Yes, if you feel like talking, your friend's there, but it's yeah. not, a, Heidi, let's talk about this. Heidi, do you want to talk yeah. about this? You know what I mean? It's just, let's just hang out. Let's just spend time together. That's it. Yeah. And it's a, just a cool way to be able to do that. And I, I caution people, don't say nothing. If you feel like it's awkward, it's probably awkward for the griever too. Yeah. So say, I really have no idea what to say. Break the silence because the yeah. silence is deafening. And so turn around and be like, I don't have any words. Because in our world, in our North American culture, we want to fix it. Yes. Well, you can't fix dead. Mm. And people always get shocked when I say it, but it's true. Yeah. Unless you have a magical wand, you can't bring somebody back from the dead. And so it's not going to happen. That same conference where that gentleman helped me, a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a long time, she was there. And somebody was like, I don't know if you heard, but... Heidi's husband died and she just looks at me and she goes well that's just shit and I was like you're right it is just shit yeah it wasn't like I'm sorry for your loss which is a statement I hate yeah I'm sorry for your loss okay so let me just oh yeah I, I knew you in right here jump right so in what, there what do you suggest then people say as opposed to, because that is the natural reaction when people first hear that a loved one or someone they know past had someone they've lost someone their first reaction is, I'm so sorry for your loss. So what would you suggest? Well, that is what we've been taught to yeah. say. It's right up there with meeting somebody who is a veteran and saying, thank you for your service. It's an automatic. Yeah. I say losing a parent is a significant loss and my heart goes out to you. Yeah. I want to acknowledge the fact that it hurts. I don't want to say you're hurting because what if their dad was an asshole? True. Right? So yeah. losing a parent is a significant loss. And I've lost a parent. And so all of a sudden somebody's, have you lost a parent? I'm like, yeah, I have. And they're like, okay, I can put my guard down because everybody else says stupid shit. <laughs> you've created that relatability right there. Right off the bat. And it's funny because my dad did die and he was an asshole. And some people that I know have lost really good parents that yeah. they loved and cherished. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, my dad wasn't that. I had to grieve the loss that he wasn't the person I, I wanted or deserved to have right. in my life. But I want you to know that it still hurts. And I also often say I, I lost my husband and they're like, okay, so you get it. This hurts like hell. And I'm like, yeah, 
And my heart goes out to you. Know that I can't take this away. I can't fix it. I often will ask, is there anything I can do to support you? Which is different than call me if you need me. I love that response. (laughs) Fuck. How about you? Why do I have to call you? Well, the hard part is as a griever, especially in those early days, weeks, and months. And by months, I say like 18 months. Yeah. Yep. Right. It took me about 18 months to feel what I call the shift. Most widows will say things just are shifting. I've done nothing different, yeah. but something like it's lighter, it's different. And mine was 18 months. I know some people that it's four years. I know some people that it's two months. I, grief has no timeline. We don't like get you to said, judge. It's a fingerprint. Some people are in like the Flintstones car and other people are in freaking Lamborghinis. <laughs> yeah. That's the best way to put it. And because we don't talk about it, we don't know what to expect, right? I thought yeah. I was going to be good after year one. I was not. Year two was harder for me than year one. And people are like, what? And I'm like, the way I relate it was year one was like going for dental surgery. Right. And you're frozen and you're on pain meds. So you don't feel anything. Year two was the freezing's coming out and it hurts like hell. So you see the restaurants that you never got to go to or your favorite ones or the wedding invitations come and you feel the void a lot more. I did anyway. And a a lot of grievers that I've talked to, they're like, totally that's, especially when it's a spouse. Yeah. Like that's actually a really good analogy. So know that it hurts. I was chatting with a friend and she's a widow. She lost her husband 12 years ago. And this year, her birthday was, she turned the same age that he was when he died. That's a huge exactly. trigger. So she had a really hard day. And she had a few friends who were like, your husband's been gone 12 years. That, you know, that drives me nuts. People say, the t- there is no timeline. You hear people say, well, come on, it's been 10 years. It's been, come on, aren't you over it yet? No. Unless you've experienced a loss of that magnitude, you have no idea, none. And you hear people say that the year of firsts is very hard, and it is. But I love that analogy. It's because you're numb to the pain in that first year. Mike died the day before my 40th birthday. I had my first birthday the day after he died. Then it was New Year's. His birthday was first week of January. I had most of my first before I actually had his funeral. Fuck. Right? So year two, my anxiety in September about December was high and we don't get to choose and we don't know somebody's story and so when you come upon somebody who's grieving that you care about you don't get to tell them yes or no that they should or shouldn't feel this way they feel this way period you don't get to tell them oh please don't cry you'll make me cry too because guess what the the armor goes up yeah for sure you know what one I love too is time heals all wounds oh fuck unbelievable there's so many Somebody, yeah, all the platitudes. Yeah. Any sentence that starts with, at least they're not suffering anymore. Oh, yeah. The person right in front of you is suffering. Yeah. And I never say at least they're not suffering until they do. Yeah. A very good friend of mine is a widow. Her husband passed of ALS, which is a horrible disease. Yes, I know someone that's dealing with it right now. And I did not say at least he's not in pain and suffering anymore until she did. Because guess what? She is suffering. And because for some people, they just want their person back so bad, we don't get to tell them. The time heals all wounds is bullshit. Yes. I believe grief is love. And so when you witness somebody's grief, you're witnessing their love. When you witness deep grief, you're witnessing deep love, period. And so it's an, I think it's an honor. Thank you for sharing your love with me. Thank you for sharing your tears with me. When you actually see it as an honor rather than a, oh, that made me feel like crap. And be like, It's not about you, first of all. Yeah. Wow. You know what? You showed me a piece of you that many people don't get to see. 
there you go. That's the shift. That's the key. And that's the way to look at it. And I think if people can shift into that mindset, that will help shift the conversation and help shift the understanding and all of these things, the education. You know what? It's about awareness. It's about being comfortable. When it comes to the time heals all wounds, somebody asked me in a podcast recently, they said, does, do you ever get over grief? And I said, it doesn't, or they said, does grief get easier? And I said, I don't like to say that it gets easier. I said, I say it gets different. I said, it doesn't become as intense and as frequently. I said, but I can have days four and a half years later that are just as intense as the day I lost him. Well, that, that hole in our hearts never heals. It never goes away. That person was a piece of you. They were in your heart and them not being there is like a piece of your heart being taken away. It can't come back. Exactly. A a piece of me died the day. Yes, exactly. I am not the same person. Exactly. So that time heals all wounds is bullshit. I agree with you 100%. I think that scar tissue starts to form, but you don't lose that. It doesn't go away. The pain may lessen, but it, it never goes away ever no. because that person is gone forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're physically gone forever. Yes. I yes. believe some yes. people don't believe I, that. No, I agree with you. They're always with you. Yeah. Absolutely. But they're physically not with you anymore. Exactly. And, I, I mean, it's about how we hold space for people. Mm-hmm. And like I tell people, have you've watched America's got talent or Britain's got talent, yeah. all those yeah. when they get the golden buzzer, the people that get the golden buzzer, none of them celebrate the same. And we never judge them. We celebrate alongside them. But we judge how people go through pain. What if we didn't? What if we just went and sat with them and and went through the pain with them? What if we just said, hey, I see you. And I see this hurts right now. And I don't have words to fix it. I can't bring your person back, but I don't want you to have to do it alone. What if you could just hold space that way? What if you could say, I don't know your person. May I ask their name? Or are you feeling up for sharing a story? I'd love to hear more about them. Instead of... How did they die? I knew it. I knew that was coming. (laughs) What was the cause of death? Oh, they died by suicide? How'd they kill themselves? And if you think I'm kidding... No. (laughs) I am not. I sadly am not. I have a friend right now who has lost a family member by suicide. And she's like, if somebody asks me one more fucking time how he took his life, I am going to scream. What difference does it make? It is so grotesque. We have TV shows, crime shows, and I love them too. Don't get me wrong. But they've jaded us to forget about the humanity of these people that we care about. About nine months after Mike died, he was a firefighter, a retired fireman. He did 30 years with Calgary Fire. And I was sitting at a a fire event. They were going to honor all the firefighters that had passed that year. And I'm sitting beside somebody and he said, you're a widow. May I ask who your spouse was? And I said, sure. And I told him his name and his head went down. And he went, I saw Mike at the kid's Christmas party just a week before he passed. And he was telling me about how much he was in love with you Mm. and how happy he was and how everything was going right in his life. And then a week later, I get an email that he died. Pivotal question. May I ask what happened? Not how did he die? What was the cause of death? He asked for permission if I was willing to share that story with him. It wasn't an expectation. And I said he had a heart attack. But I have complete strangers. I mean, I'm in a lot of Ubers and taxis with all the trips on the road. And people, I I mean, I talk to people. Of course, conversation, yeah. And so it's sometimes, are you married? No, I'm widowed. Oh, how did he die? You don't even freaking know his name and you want to know how he died. (laughs) How do you respond to that? Like someone like that, someone you don't even know has asked you that. How did you respond? It honestly depends on my mood. If it's one (laughs) in the morning and I'm tired, I just say heart attack. And yeah, it was terrible. 
And the conversation usually stops. (laughs) But sometimes I'll say, I actually speak about grief and I actually encourage people not to talk about that. I'll share with you that he had a heart attack because I'm happy to share my story. And you can listen to it on my, um, check out my podcasts and stuff on on my website. I I make a plug. But honestly, I just sometimes, I I make it an educational moment. I say, I teach people. I always say, do you remember when Princess Diana died or when 9-11 happened? And they're like, yeah. I said, those memories are etched in your being. The day somebody loses their person is etched in their being. And sometimes it can be extremely traumatic. I was with my husband. I did CPR on my husband. Yeah. Sometimes going to that, like for me, it, it's part of my story and I sh- I've chosen to share my story. But for some people, it's like they have to relive that day and they don't want to or they don't yeah. want to that day. And we don't have to do that to them. That's where that whole thing with if someone has committed suicide, well, how did they do it? You really want to put them through that trauma of reliving that in that moment? That's horrible. And why does that matter? It has no bearing, right? It does not matter how they did it. It's not important. It's information for you, not for you to support the person. That's right. And really, it's really just a morbid curiosity. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. How then have all of these experiences related around your situation and what you've learned and stepped into as a grief educator help shape the Heidi you are today? Well, one is maybe fucking hilarious. I, like, <laughs> if I do say so myself. I do, yeah, somebody's like, you're funny. I'm like, I prefer fucking hilarious, but we'll go with funny. <laughs> you know what? I'm compassionate. Like I said earlier, one of my superpowers is seeing people where they're at. And it's not my place to judge where they're at. It's not my place to tell them where they should be. You should be over it by now. You should be moving on. Not my place. And so it, it has taught me grace. Oh my God. Like I, I was introduced to grace in 2014, actually where I met Mike at a personal development seminar, but, and it's, I had to have a tattooed on my body because it's such a big lesson. Yeah. Grace is so needed in grief as a griever and as somebody supporting grievers, grace is just needed. Yeah. Plain and simple. It's the, you've invited them over for Christmas dinner and they woke up feeling like they got hit by a truck that Christmas isn't, they're not ready to celebrate and they cancel. It isn't, oh my God, like you, you flaked on me again. It's, hey, I know today's a hard day. Can I show up tomorrow with leftovers? That's great. And that's saying, hey, I see this is hard. It's saying, hey, I see that you're not ready to talk about this today. And, but know that I'm here. I know that I want to support you and I'll do whatever I can. And if that means I'm raking your leaves or I'm picking up groceries or I'm picking up your kids, or if you need me to bring a meal over once in a while, let me know. Let me know how I can support you. What do you need? Not call me if you need me. You know what's so funny is I find that when we go through grief as grievers, everyone's, that's their reaction. like, oh, what do you need? Let me know if you need anything. And I went through this when I lost my father. I thought to myself, I would love to to do a little experiment and reach out to all of those people who said that in that first, I think probably within the first week, right? That's usually when it all happens, right? Reach out to them a month later. Remember when you said, guess what? I need help with this, right? Could you make me a few meals or could you take me here? Could you? I guarantee you 98% of those people, sorry, I'm, I can't. They get caught up in their own lives and So it's become, I think, almost like pleasantries, right? It's just something you say just because you don't know what else to say, which is where your work comes in, educating people on how to do this, how to navigate this, how to help the people who are 
part of that process because they are part of it because they're in your life. They're in your right? life. The hard part is most people know how to do it up until the service is done. And then when the yeah. service is done, they're like, it's done. Which I we have, don't have to say, like, that's when the most support is needed is oh, when yeah. it's done, when yeah. everyone disappears. Yeah. And that's what I often tell people is you don't need to be there the day that the person's died or the week after or even go to the service, be there, but know that it's a long haul. It's the people that texted me just, hey, send in your hug today. Yes. Three months later, six months later, mm -hmm. people that reached out to me and said, hey, I know it's Father's Day and I know you and Mike didn't have kids, but it's a day that maybe is twinging and I'm thinking about you. Or they see a post like, and I'm very open about my grief and yeah. and I'm cautious about how I present my grief on social media, but I put Mike's memories. I put the yeah. memories that I have, the legacy that he's left behind. And I talk about how I miss him. No, it isn't poor me. My life is terrible. It's really, we, we lost a bright light when he passed. Yeah. And he impacted so many. And I always say he left a lot of holes and hearts down here because it isn't just my hole in a heart. Right. And there are times, I'm not going to lie, that I am supporting somebody who's missing him. It always makes me laugh when a girl, he had lots of female friends and he was just a big teddy bear. And my one friend, she's, have his photo up on my mirror. He watches me get dressed every day. And I was like, <laughs> really? What? <laughs> she's, I'm like, you maybe shouldn't say that to too many more people. And she's, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about what I said. So I saw her a couple of weeks ago. She goes, I moved his photo. <laughs> It's not in my bedroom anymore. <laughs> and no, as a griever that, I mean, people don't say things with ill intent. And so sometimes it's important to be able to say, hey, that might have missed the mark a bit. And know that if you have stuck your foot in your mouth, you can just as easily pull it out and say, yeah. hey, that didn't come out the way I, I had hoped. Yeah. And you're important to me. And I apologize. And the next time I do it, can you stuff the salt shaker in there? And, and just admit to the fact that it's a sticky conversation. They're hard to navigate. Even with me as an educator, I fuck it up sometimes. Because guess what? People shift. Yesterday they were sad and today they're pissed off. Yeah. And what I said yesterday doesn't apply. And I didn't get the memo. <laughs> that they're pissed off today. I missed the memo on that. <laughs> and so turn around and be like, hey, that missed the mark. I'm sorry. But I want you to know it wasn't intentional and you're important to me. It can go a long way to maintaining a relationship because I can tell you lots of grievers will say that they lost a lot of friends after they've lost their person. Absolutely. Silencing grief is deafening. It is. And it hurts. And it breaks trust. It really does. So if you have been silent and you're like, hey, my friend or my colleague, and I haven't talked to them in weeks or months, circle back and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I was a dickhead and I missed the mark. And it's because I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to hurt you. And if you'll accept my apology, please know that I will do my best to be there for you in yeah. however we can navigate it together. It can go a long way. Because a lot of people lose their friends and they end up grieving the loss of people that are freaking still alive. I have to say, when my dad passed last October, no, October 2021, it was that kind of situation where my friends were calling, sorry for your loss, the usual. And then that silence. And we have drifted further apart. We don't spend time together. We don't hang out. We don't talk. Nothing. And that's hard. I mean... And these are friends of mine that I've known since junior high and high school. That's a long time. And they're gone. So not only, as you said, not only have I lost my dad, but I've lost these people as well. Yeah. And it's hard. It's loss. Like you said, grief isn't just loss in terms of death. 
loss of friendships, loss of relationships, loss of marriage, loss of a pet, all of these things. They're all part of grief. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Yeah. Right now I'm moving through my 94-year-old grandma has dementia. And even doing what I do, I'm kind of watching my family. We end up putting ourselves in a bubble in dealing with it because so many people, you know that you're going to say something and they're like, oh, that just sucks. Yeah. And or they don't know what to say. And you just, you have zero ability to handle more shit. And you end up doing, we end up as grievers and people who are moving through stuff, having to do it alone because we just know that people don't know how to hold that space yeah. and how to say, hey, do you mind if I reach out and say, hey, how are, how are things going? For me, somebody tells me when they're, some people call it the death anniversaries. Mm-hmm. I call it Mike, the day Mike died, I call it his wing anniversary. He was, yeah. he always believed that he was going to get his wings. And so I focus on the positive. That's my choice. But I put, I note it in my calendar as a yearly anniversary. And I put it whatever, I have a friend who calls it their shitty day. I have another friend that calls it the death anniversary. I call it wing anniversary. I, and I'm like, I know it comes up on my calendar every year now. And I can send them a message. Hey, thinking about you today. Because guess what? Two years down the road when everybody's forgotten and everybody's mm-hmm. moved on and it sucks for you to get a message and go, somebody actually remembered. Thank you. That speaks volumes. That speaks absolute volumes. And it does not take but 30 seconds to send someone a message to say, hey, I know today's a rough day or even just, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Sending you love. Yeah, I don't like to say it's a rough day only because what if they're what if they've got a great day planned honoring their person? So I I just want to say, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Sending you a hug. That's it. If you want to chat, let me know. Right. I'm here. Uh, Yeah. And so it's about showing up. And showing up in the way that your relationship is, right? So my neighbor showing up with the Kleenex, like we've always had fun, right? And he knew that I would accept that well. And know that if your neighbor isn't a sprinkler, don't Kleenex probably isn't going to be helpful. (laughs) They'll be like, what am I going to do with all this? What the hell is this? Yeah. Because know that not everybody cries in grief and that's That's okay. Yes. Right? I cry enough for all of them. So There you go. (laughs) (laughs) What has been then, would you say, the biggest or most valuable lesson or takeaway from you for you through your grief journey? Gratitude, gratitude and grace. And people think it's crazy, but gratitude gets me out of the darkest moments. When I'm going down that, I really miss him. I then move into, I'm grateful I had him because what would my life be without him? And so gratitude is a huge piece and grace because not only do people judge grievers, but we judge ourselves in our grief. And we believe the stages of dying and stages of grief. We, we think that we went through a, a stage and we're done. Yeah, uh, No, it's a hot mess. And so when you're angry again, or when those feelings come up again, instead of going, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why am I feeling this way again? Right? The why keeps you here. Turning around and allowing yourself to feel it gets you here in the heart. So why keeps you in your head? And the allowing yourself to feel it allows you to move through those emotions, not yeah. get over them. So you don't get over them, no. but it allows you to move through them. And I still have hard days. Are they as frequent? No. Those first 18 months, they were every day, all the yeah. time. Now they come. Sometimes I know they're coming because it's a special day, or but sometimes it catches me off guard. Sometimes I can walk past somebody and they're wearing his cologne yeah. and that smell catches me. Sometimes it's a song playing at the grocery store. The grocery store is like a nightmare for, especially the first year. Have you ever seen a grocery cart filled with groceries and somebody's totally abandoned it? And in my head, I always thought they just realized they forgot their wallet. When Mike died, I realized 
it's because something triggered them, whether the music or whether it's the Oreos that they no longer have to buy. For yeah. me, Mike drank four liters of home homogenized milk, organic milk, every two days. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, no wonder I had a heart attack, right? Buying milk. Yeah. And I don't drink milk. And I'd see it and I'd lose my shit and I'd run to yeah. the car. I actually would put the milk aisle first, get through that moment so I could, because otherwise I couldn't buy groceries. Imagine what it's like when it's a parent who's lost a, a young child and right, all their right. favorite foods for yeah. grocery stores, a landmine for grievers. And so know that sometimes it's, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. What can I pick up for you? Don't say, can I? You can pick them up. Just say, what can I pick up for you? Yes. You know, another one I love that people say, if the person, let's say they passed, we'll use my grandmother. She passed, she was 90. Yes, she was 90 when she passed. Well, at least you had her for 90 years. No, that fucking doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many fucking years they were here. It doesn't change the loss. It drives me up a fucking wall when I hear people say that. It really does. And the loss isn't less any, significant. Any sentence that starts with, at least you can get another dog. Yeah. <laughs> at least you can have another child. Fuck. Like it's, they're so inappropriate. Yeah. And so I encourage people, what was your grandma's name? What were some of the favorite foods you got to enjoy with your grandma? What were some of your favorite memories? There you Hold go. the conversation. I think the first time you and I had virtual coffee, I mean, yes. it was a pretty emotional yes, conversation because you had no idea I did this work. Yeah. That's right. You just thought I was like some magician that does events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, oh. Well, and, she's and, a magician and, in another way. <laughs> yeah. And now <laughs> a all magician of, sudden, of holding space. Now all of a sudden you're a sprinkler. Yeah. And I do a lot of these podcasts, and podcasters, hosts are are human too, and they're going yeah. through grief, and they often cry. And some of them are like, they they're okay, and the Kleenex is coming out, and they're good. And other yeah. ones are like trying to hide it. And yeah. I just show people how to hold space while the podcaster cries. I don't sit there and go, oh. Don't cry. I'll cry too. <laughs> if I cry, then it's all good. I'm not afraid of tears. They're just water. Exactly. They're just memories. Water. Yeah. They're memories. Yeah. That's what tears are. Yeah. I don't see crying as bad. No. It's a good thing. It's a release of memories. It's a release of emotion. I think it's a good thing for sure. Yeah. And yes, there was a lot of tears shed that day. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, on both sides. Clearly. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I find it interesting that you use the terms advocate and educator as opposed to using the term coach. Was that intentional? And if so, totally. why? Why? One, because people think she's a grief coach. That means she's going to coach me through my grief. I, I talk to grievers because guess what? They often feel like something misses the mark, but they don't get why. They don't understand why when somebody asks, how are you? Why it makes them feel icky because they have to lie and say they're good, fine or okay. But when I turn around and say, hey, how's today? It's a way different statement. So I advocate one that we need to have more conversations about grief. And I educate people about grief and what to say and not say. And so lots of my friends, I love them dearly. I have amazing friends, but they're like, my friends grieving, help them. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I get to help you. I get to help yeah. you help them. Yeah. And so I do things really differently because there's lots of grief coaches out there. There's lots of grief counselors out there and they are so needed. If you're grieving, don't just go to a regular psychologist, find somebody who specializes in grief because it makes such a big difference. But the reality is, is I want to teach more people how to hold space so that grievers don't have to go through this journey alone. Because that's one of the worst parts of it is going through it alone. 
And the reality is, as so many people, when I've had these conversations, I used to do clubhouse rooms all the time, and people are like, I've always wanted to know what to say, and I've, I could never find it. Nobody talks about this. This is hard. And yeah. I mean, we whitewash death now. I mean, I live in a big city in Calgary. You never see a hearse anymore. We transport bodies in white, unmarked vans. I saw a hearse actually for the first time in May. I was at a service where the remains were actually buried, not cremated. That was probably the first time I've seen a hearse in 20 years. Yeah, I saw one. I was recently at a funeral last month and same yeah. thing. The body was being buried, so they transported it to the gravesite in a hearse. But yeah, you don't see them around. Yeah, they pick up bodies at hospitals Yes, uh, in white unmarked vans. We don't see it anymore, and so it's not prevalent. And we now relate it to what we see in TV and movies. Which you know, is I can not tell you, like an accurate portrayal. Well, yeah. How many times do you watch them shock somebody back to life, and ninety percent of the time they come back to life? Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's two percent of the time that they come back to life. So, I mean, here I am standing on my driveway in the middle of winter because I couldn't die in summer when it's warm. <laughs> Such a character that guy. Um, so <laughs> here I am freezing, cheering him on. Come on, I'm waiting for. Yeah. Like, I'm waiting for the the big recovery, like it is in the movies. It, it, it's yeah. not like that. So. It's about keeping it real. I recently had someone share with me that she believes that grief and joy are soulmates. She said, you can't invite one to the party without inviting the other. You can't bring joy to the party without inviting grief. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And do you find validity in that? I think I've gotten there. I think it's a lesson. I think it's one that people have to learn to get there. Because let me tell you, it can be easy to stay in the grief puddle. And I have seen many people do it. I think that... When you get to experience grief and joy in the same space, it means that you found the meaning and are able to see the legacies that the person that we've lost has left behind. It takes a while to get there. For sure. But there are some really dark and ugly parts of grief, but there are some also very beautiful parts of grief. Right? That woman who said that she lost her child, she lost her father and her husband, yeah. all three significant like those losses are massive big yeah but it's about you have to have the mentality that you want to find meaning and i mean i also speak about legacy because i i think because we don't talk about our people anymore because we're afraid we're going to upset somebody we end up losing the legacies of the people that we've lost and it's our duty as the people left behind to carry those legacies on And so when all of a sudden we don't have the safe space to be able to share their name and a story, then all of a sudden we lose that legacy. And I mean, I have, since Mike's died, I because of what I do now for work, I've met hundreds and hundreds of people who've never met him, but they actually are like, wow, I really actually wish I did because of how I share stories about him. And I have friends on my social media who knew him, who have a hard time with how I share stories about him and have unfriended me and that it's too hard. And I'm like, I'm not going to stop living his legacy. I have found the meaning in that. And these conversations, somebody was worried that me talking about what I talk about is going to leave me stuck in my grief. One, Mike loved that I taught people because I used to teach at a college and now I believe I'm teaching people and I'm not stuck in my grief. I'm actually going, I've found purpose in the pain that I had. And I don't want people to have to grieve alone. And I want to help people. And I know lots of people that are like, I'm tired of saying I'm sorry for your loss, but I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. Here's a plastic plant. Like, 
Let me teach people. It's important to mention, though, that you sharing stories, you sharing posts about Mike, all of these, that's part of your healing process. Mm -hmm. People need to understand that. Mm -hmm. That's how you heal. Like you said, grief is like a fingerprint. It's different for everybody, and everybody deals with it, handles it differently. So you posting, talking about Mike, sharing stories, that's your way of processing and healing and going through it all. So these people that have unfriended you, that makes me wonder, were they really friends to begin with? A friend does not do that. I don't get upset by it because you have to remember that they're also grieving. And if it's too hard for them, that's their process. But you know what, turn around and I'd be like, unfollow and I'll go and look at Heidi's page when I feel up to it. But if I'm not your friend because of I'm grieving it differently, then you you have to do you, right? I also know that I lost four of our best friends. There were six of us that always hung out. I lost those four because I was a reminder to them that Mike was gone. I didn't hear from them after the service. And it was because they always knew it as Heidi and Mike. And now it's so, changed. And yeah, to just, oh, we're just calling Heidi. It's, it was too hard. Well, as you said, you do you. So because of your work involving the support that you give, helping others navigate through pain and loss. How do you personally take care of you and your own emotional well-being while also helping others go through and deal with that? You know what? I've done a lot of counseling work to begin with. I met Mike at a personal development seminar in 2014. I continue to do personal development work. And I, again, same principle. I don't have to do this work. I get to do this work. And I see it as an honor and a privilege. I see it as part of my purpose. And so I often find it fills my cup rather than empties it. It truly is. When you are allowed into, because that's what they're doing, they're allowing you into that space. It is an absolute honor to be allowed into that space to share because that's pretty fucking vulnerable that person is being and getting with you. So yeah, it, it is an absolute honor. I am always in awe of how open people are willing to be when we give them the space to do it. To know that it's okay. That's the key. Because when it all comes down to it, we all just want to be seen and heard. That's really all we want. Yeah. So for you to be able to provide that space is just incredibly beautiful. We're really good at acknowledging when somebody's happy. But lots of times it's going through a divorce and this is hard. And nobody's acknowledging it. And so to actually see somebody when they struggle and acknowledge it is a gift and it's something that they will cherish. The people that showed up for me in that time, I hold them in very high regard. And the people that miss the mark, some of them, I'm like, it's just grace. Give them grace. They were doing the best they can. (laughs) Yes. Some of them, I was like, really? (laughs) Really? Yeah. But again, I do my best to believe that everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got. Sometimes I still have the really... Yeah. Love. Um, really? <laughs> and a plastic plant. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's be honest. It's very, very easy to show up for people when they're celebrating. Oh, yeah. And when they're happy. Where it really gets tough is being there in times like this, where it's difficult, where people are stuck in that muck. That proves who you are. That shows your character. When you can show up for people in that, I I, think I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I believe that it's like a muscle. So when we go to the gym, the first few times it hurts and we're like, I'm stiff. 
I couldn't do it. I physically couldn't do it. Grief is a muscle. I call it the grief muscle. And there's grief everywhere. And so the more you look at the grief all around you and acknowledge it and learn how to hold space for it, the more you're going to be able to handle those more uncomfortable big griefs. So when you look at a toddler, a toddler when their balloon floats away or their ice cream hits the ground, they're grieving. And if you just turn around and hand them a new balloon or a new ice cream rather than acknowledging their feelings, you can work your grief muscle there. Think about teenagers. You take their cell phones away or their Wi-Fi passwords away. They're grieving. It looks a little different than the toddler. <laughs> Just a wee bit. <laughs> but guess what? If you acknowledge their feelings, hey, I see that you're really angry and I see that this is hard. Because grief is a normal response to loss or change of any kind. And so when we turn around and learn how to hold space for people in those little life moments of grief, we can all of a sudden are a little bit more equipped to handle the big ones. But we have to make that conscious choice. This is where your work comes in, is helping to educate. We need more people getting on board with the education piece. It is so needed because grief, like you said at the beginning, we are going to deal with and go through grief our entire lives in different forms. So it is important that we all educate ourselves on how to deal with it as grievers and as people supporting others who are going through grief. And you have to want to. And you have to know that I truly believe the reason why people don't say anything at all is because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. I would agree with that. But they don't really realize that silence is so loud yes. to the person. And so turn around and learn it before you need it. Proactive just, instead of reactive. Yeah. <laughs> don't wait till your neighbor's mom dies. <laughs> yeah. To all of a sudden go, oh, I got to figure out what to say now. Turn around and be like, hey, you know what? I know I'm going to need this. I don't know when, but I know I'm going to need it. And so let's unpack it. I remember when my neighbor, her husband passed away. It's been probably about three years now. And all we did was, hey, Lorna, do you need anything? Can I go to the grocery store for you? Can I go? What do you need? Tell me. I will help you. That's all it takes. It's so simple. They are dealing with a huge loss, yeah. just offering something. So I'll go get groceries for you. What do you need? Yeah. No problem. She didn't take me up on it. What she did take me up on was going to the weed store to get her some stuff to help her relax. So yeah. I went and got it for her. Here yeah. you go. No problem. Exactly. She had no idea where to go get it or what to ask for or anything. So I asked the questions, well, what do you look at? What do you need it for? Sleep for what? And I went and got it for her. Something yep. so simple. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's about showing up and knowing like, I mean, people share their stories with me. It's kind of, I don't know. It's, I've heard the craziest stories. Taxi drivers telling me about their heart conditions. People talk to me. Yeah. It's my thing. If you're not great at dealing with emotional conversations, turn around and tell your person, hey, I love you. This is not my forte, but I'm really good at mowing the lawn. Or I'm yeah. really good at cooking lasagnas. Turn around and say, hey, I I'll do my best. But no, that's not my superpower. Tell them what your superpower is so that you can show up for them. The reality is, is in grief, what people want is, oftentimes is connection. They've lost yeah. their person and they feel disconnected from this world. Mm -hmm. And so if all of a sudden you just reach that hand out to say, hey, I want to connect with you. Know that if you're trying to be something you're not, it's going to come across as inauthentic. Or if at least you turn around and, and make it a joke, hey, I'm not so good at this. <laughs> at least when you do shit the bed, you can actually have a laugh about it. Yeah. Right? And just know that 
the grace for yourself and grace for them and grace for your relationship together with whoever it is can go a long way. So what is one of the most useful or biggest suggestions or tools that you can share and recommend to people listening if they're going through their own grief struggles right now that they can implement or they know someone who is, what can they implement to start helping in that process? So one, if you're grieving yourself and it's feeling overwhelming, get help. Go hire a grief coach. Go and get a grief counselor. In Canada, there's lots of free programs. I don't know about the U.S., but know that there's help out there. And sometimes if you can't afford help, go on social media, search. There's widows groups. There's parent child loss groups. There's parent loss groups, sibling loss groups. Search it and join the groups knowing that there's other people going through the same loss and that some of the crazy isn't just you, that they're going through it too, makes a big difference. So know that you're not alone. If it's bothering you and everybody's different. Some people are like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Cool. Yeah. Don't talk mm -hmm. to anybody. Yeah. I'm not going to force anybody to talk to me. They just do it naturally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? But if you're supporting somebody who's grieving, be honest. Turn around and say, I'm not good at this, but I want you to know you're important to me. Acknowledge that because if by chance they take something the wrong way or you haven't said something when they thought you should say something because no, we all write that script in our head. Turn around and say, if I've said something or I didn't say something, please tell me because I can tell you many grievers go home, close the door and go, fuck, that was hard because they didn't feel like somebody was open to feedback. Be open to the feedback. Turn around and say, I'm not good at this, but you're important to me. So if I fuck it up. Please tell me so that I don't do it again because I don't want to lose you. You're important to me. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Heidi. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think just holding space for people, seeing them exactly where they're at, not judging them. We live in this world where people are so judged and people are just like, I mean, I get exposed to all sorts of people in different scenarios based on the event management job. There's people that have to tell me, hey, I, don't, I can't afford this. Or, or there's times where I have to say they want to pay for a program that we're a part of. And they have to say, I, I have to be honest and say, if you're going to pay for this, does that mean you're not going to have food? And I'm bold enough to ask those kind of questions. And I do it in a way where they don't feel judged. I'm yeah. like, I want you to know I'm asking this question out of love and respect because I want you to be taken care of. So I see people and... I trust my instincts and I just want people to have peace and joy and happiness and grace in their life. How do you define success? What does that word mean to you? Living a life that you're happy and feeling comfortable enough with yourself that you can move through life doing what you love to do. You don't need somebody else. And before I met Mike, I was quite the independent woman. And then all of a sudden I met Mike and I was like, wow. He shined a light on all my strengths and lifted me up with my weaknesses. And it was just a beautiful piece. And then losing him, I had to kind of regain my independence again. And I had to realign with what is my purpose. And it took a bit. And people think that, oh, the service is over. Well, when you lose somebody significant in your life, you lose a, a bit of your purpose. And it takes you a bit to get that back because it takes you a while to find it. And so when all of a sudden you, it takes a while. So turn around and be like, they're grieving. Yeah, they're trying to figure out their life again because it doesn't yeah. make sense. And so I think I'm successful because I show up every day the best that I can. And I'm okay with the fact that the best one day doesn't look the same, the best the next day. And that I always see that people are trying their best. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? 
Grace. It's such a small word, but fuck, it's got a lot. My life without Grace, I carried a pretty big baseball bat, and that baseball (laughs) bat was really hard on me. I was beating myself up a lot. And having Grace, so in this personal development program, you develop a contract, which is something you want more of in your life. And then you come back almost three months later and you put words to your life purpose. And so my contract and my purpose is I'm a beautiful woman of grace, inspiring others to live authentically. Love it. That is beautiful. That's poetry right there. I love it. Thank you. And so. (laughs) But that is you embody that, Heidi. Thank you. Those are my words, right? So love it. But I mean, in 2014, I didn't see myself as beautiful. I definitely wasn't graceful. And it was a lot. Those were big shoes to fill. And now I'm starting to get the hang of it. Um, (laughs) But I've always wanted the best for others. I mean, I worked with some of our most vulnerable population for 20 years in physical and mental disabilities and mental health. And I always wanted them to be successful, to be their best. And that's what I want now. I, I want people to live in their true authenticity. And lots of people think it's a catchphrase, but the reality is when people who know me, they're like, that's... No, that's coming from a place of love and from the heart. I know that. I don't talk about the weather and go for coffee to talk about... (laughs) Small talk bullshit. It's just not who I am. Yeah. What does the word empowerment mean to you? I'm powerful. I turn the E into the I. And the reality is the power has to come within me. And when all of a sudden I'm in my power, everybody else is going to be in their power around me. And it's just that huge ripple effect. I mean, it's exactly what your program does. It's a ripple effect. You share a story and you have no idea who's listening and who it's going to impact. You have no idea. And it may not impact the person who's listening, but they might be like, hey, so-and-so's going through this. You need to listen to this episode because it relates to your life right now. And you have no idea. And I think that's the coolest part about life is we have no idea who the message is for. Magical. Hey, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. It's the next grouping of questions to be one, two, three, four word answer type thing. Heidi, how would you describe yourself in one word? Hilarious. (laughs) Passionate. And super compassionate. (laughs) If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Loving people for where they're at. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Grace. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? How deeply I love. What is your favorite self-care practice? Sleeping. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Naps. (laughs) Naps are good. I love naps. You know what? I would definitely say meditating and going for walks in nature. If you came with a warning label, what would you say? I cuss a lot. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Being open to change and being able to see that if you're always stuck, especially with events and even with grief, if it's always supposed to be one way, you're going to always have a difficult time. Years ago, I was running a conference and I was flying speakers in all over from the US and Australia and all over the place. And I had a speaker phone me and he was in Pennsylvania and he missed his flight. And so he phones me, he's I'm not going to make it. He's I've missed my flight and he, and he's beating himself up. You could hear it on his voice. And he's the guy worked at the White House. He's not a dumb man, yeah. right? PhD. And I could hear the defeat in his voice. And I said, I'll call you back in 20 minutes. Stay where you are. And he's been at my conferences before. So he knows that I work magic. Well, he didn't know that I had a group of people 
in Boston on a private jet that I'd hired for these speakers. <laughs> so literally I phoned the travel agent. I was like, Hey, can you fly dude from Pennsylvania to Boston? And I'll put one of my people on a commercial flight. Cause I need him more than I need my people. And she's yeah, done. Where is he? I'm like, he's at the airport. When's the next flight? She goes in 90 minutes. So I phone him back and I'm like, Hey, I need you to wait at the airport. Your next flight's in nine in 90 minutes. You're going to fly to Boston and you're going to catch a private jet. And so he sees me the next morning and he's like an older guy. He's a PhD, super smart man. And he goes, fuck, you're good. Like, <laughs> he goes, I really thought I wouldn't make it here. And he goes, and I really wanted to be at this conference. He goes, but you didn't see defeat in the fact that I missed my flight. I said, no, I saw a challenge. Like, <laughs> And we make it work. So because I'm not afraid to go, okay, there's got to be another solution. I'm always open to change. Adaptable, malleable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or crazy, one or the other. <laughs> no, we'll go with malleable and adaptable. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Love people where they're at. The world would be a way better place. For sure. Judgment is life's kryptonite. Leave it for courtrooms. It's where it belongs. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? So after Mike died, I sold my house. And that was probably three years ago. And I've kind of embraced a nomadic lifestyle. And so I spend six months of the year, six or seven months of the year in Mexico, and I travel pretty much a week a month. And then I come back to Canada when the weather smartens up because it's too damn cold here in the winter. And to live that kind of lifestyle means that you require help. Uh, you can't do it alone. I mean, I've sold pretty much everything I own, but I need somebody to store the nine Rubbermaid bins of stuff that I have. I need a mailing address. I need somebody to store my car when I'm overseas. And before Mike passing, which is stands for BM, which is, always makes me laugh. B, this is how my brain works. BM, before Mike, <laughs> yeah. um, before shit. So uh, is I never asked for help. And I saw it as a sign of weakness and it's a sign of strength and courage. And I don't love the words. The other thing that people also often say in grief, I'm going to go back to this real quick, yeah. is you're so strong. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> And that, I don't know if you can, t you don't have video on your podcast, but my face, sometimes I don't have to use words. My big blue eyes kind of just, <laughs> yes, I, I can have a fuck off look pretty good. I'm not strong. When somebody's grieving, they're broken and they feel broken. And so say, I see how much courage it takes for you to get out of bed. I'm going to challenge something you said there, that broken. I do not like using that word with people. I don't think anyone's broken. I when really you've lost don't. your spouse or your child, you feel broken. You may feel broken, but you're not broken. I don't think people are and broken. I, I agree. Yeah. It isn't my place to say, hey, you've lost your child, you're broken. No, but no, inside, no. I felt broken. And I was very clear on how I said that. I felt broken. And so when somebody told me I was strong, I was like, it didn't resonate for me. And, and I'm tired of giving people the you're so strong trophy. <laughs> Guess what? It took a lot of courage and a lot of bravery and a lot of work for you to get where you are, to get That's strong. It. Acknowledge That's that. Yes. Stop telling people that they're strong because it's you're strong. I don't need to talk to you anymore. You got this. No. No. no I see this hurts. Yeah. There's so many phrases could share. <laughs> yeah. Wait, we only have 15 minutes left, so let's yeah. – uh, this, this is a long episode. We knew it was going to be. Yes, we did. <laughs> what is your why, Heidi? I love to see people succeed. I, I love to see people be empowered and stand in their power. I love to see them living authentically. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Grace. I, I feel like a broken record. It comes when you need it. And sometimes you have to work really hard to give it to yourself. And yet there's an unlimited amount of it out there if you choose to. It is a choice for sure. 
if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, there's a lot. One would be Brene Brown for a famous person, just because I think she's somebody who is so authentic and real and has the uncomfortable conversations about shit people don't really want to talk, that they tuck into the closet. Shame and vulnerability, fascinating. I just lost a very good friend of mine, Robin. She just passed a couple days ago. I would love another one hour conversation with her. I think, and it's funny that you say that, not funny, haha, but funny that you say it because I've thought about that a lot since my grandmother passed, since my dad passed. And that one hour, I've heard people say that if I could just have one hour with that person again, I don't think that would ever be enough. You you would have them back. Let's say it could happen. Let's say it's a possibility. They come back for that hour. There is no way you would be able to feel fulfilled or satisfied with that one hour. I don't think that's possible because Here, you would be left wanting more. You would not have all your caveat. questions answered. Here's my caveat. People always say, if you could have Mike back again, I watched, was it the Adam Project about a year ago and it's like that time travel and you end up meeting people that have passed and I love Mike but I can tell you he's worth waiting for when I pass because let me tell you I do not want to go through the pain of losing him again when I went through counseling and my first session and it was about nine months after Mike passed and the counselor said to me how are you with the fact that you didn't get to say goodbye which is a really sticky point for young widows because it never makes sense and it doesn't matter how you've lost your person. And I, Mike was 24 years my senior. So some people would think that it just, he was 63. He was still young. Yeah. And I said, I'm okay with the fact that I didn't get to say goodbye. And she's no, like, you're allowed to be honest here. And I said, yeah. no, I really am. I said, he died the day before my birthday. We just had Christmas dinner with my family and his family. He was planning me a 40-person surprise birthday party. We literally just were coming home from Costco because I'd heard about the party <laughs> and I'd asked him what was on the menu and he was like chicken wings and cake and so then I decided maybe we should go to Costco together and I could enhance the menu a bit I said he was so happy I said how many people transition and they've got guilt and regret and I said and he would have been devastated saying goodbye to me I said he got to go to heaven because that was his belief yeah he got to go happy I said so who am I to take that away from him I love him so much that I want him to be happy. And I mean, so many people are like, I didn't get to say goodbye. I didn't get to, if I had to say goodbye to him again, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. If somebody said, you you can have another conversation with Mike for an hour, I would say he's worth waiting for in heaven because I don't want to say goodbye again. It almost killed me the first time. It's difficult because I didn't get to say goodbye to my grandmother. She passed in May of 2020. And the last time I got to speak to her was in February. And she was also in isolation because of COVID and she was in a, a facility, like a nursing yeah. home. Yeah. So we weren't allowed in and I didn't get that opportunity. And part of me would have loved to have had one more conversation with her, not necessarily say goodbye, but at least have seen her one more time. For sure. But it wasn't meant to be and uh, it's difficult. It really is. It's so a hard I, it is. I somewhat agree with you because, no, you don't want to say goodbye. Whereas with my father, the last conversation I had with him was on the way to the mall with him. And when we left the mall, he couldn't speak. So I got to sit with him in the hospital because he died fairly quickly. It happened on a Saturday and he passed on the Sunday. So I got to spend that time with him in the hospital 
And I got to spend time alone with him and hold his hand and tell him all the things that I wanted to tell him that I didn't before. And so I'm grateful for that time I had with him in the hospital. Again, I think about it and I kind of wish that I used to, I would get mad when I was thinking about the fact that he couldn't, like he was trying to talk to me in the car and he couldn't. The words were not coming out because of the brain problem. And that broke my fucking heart that I didn't get to hear what he was trying to say. But also finding comfort in the fact that I got to sit with him in the hospital before he passed. Now, I wasn't there when he did transition, but I had been there just hours before, not even hours before, an hour before he transitioned. So, And I had that time alone with him, which was incredibly important. And I am so grateful for that time. So I think we have to look at the moments and the situations and be grateful for certain things in those situations. Try and find the silver lining, just like anything in life, right? We have to find the silver lining in situations, no matter how shitty they are. We have to try to find them. I don't know that you have to try to find them. One of the things I could say is the lesson for me in losing Mike is that I know when I leave somebody that I care about, that they know how I feel about them. When Robin passed, I mean, I hadn't talked to her in a couple months, but the last time we chatted, it was like, hey, I love you. And in August, when I'm in Calgary, I look forward to going for a walk with you because she was talking about how she was walking so slow and nobody would walk at her pace. I'm like, yeah, I can walk slow. So (laughs) I'll talk to you. And so my grandma, I know that she's going to pass probably soon, not tomorrow, but it's yeah. coming. Like she's 94. And I know that when I leave her, that I've always made good with her, that I've, that could be my last goodbye. And when you lose somebody as fast as I lost Mike and the same, like how you've lost your father, it teaches us that we have to be present and we have to make good. Imagine if you leave somebody in conflict and then they pass. You're stuck with it. You're carrying that weight for life. If you don't have the tools to process that, right? I mean, somebody said that to me. You always say that, tell people you love them. I said, I never know when I get the, when it's the last time. And so I'm really present with the people that I'm in relationship with because I think it's a detriment that we go to funerals and that that might be the first time somebody has shared how much that person meant to them. The things that get said at funerals should be said every day. Yes, absolutely. And they're not. And and I can say that losing Mike has taught me to tell people how important they are in my life now. I am so grateful for the time I had with my dad because it was a long road. Like his health deteriorated. He was falling and all of these things. But you know what? And I went over to their house. Thankfully, my parents lived close. So I had the ability to be there when he fell. He was a bigger man. My mom couldn't pick him up. She had heart problems. I was able to be there to go. And again, this is going to talk to the one hour thing, but I would give anything to be able to go over to his house and pick him up again. Yeah. Or to, cause I would go over every night to put him to bed, to get him into bed. Yeah. Like I would give anything for that. And then I see people who don't spend the time with their parents, who don't give a shit, who don't go visit them in these old age homes or wherever until you experience the loss, be grateful for the time you have with these people. And like you said, express your feelings every opportunity you get because you don't know tonight i get to hang out at the hospital with my grandma there you go i don't have to i get to get to it's that little tweak in languaging right i love it yeah if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice what would that piece of advice be love yourself first that's powerful 
Lastly, Heidi, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? One, gratitude. A lot of people get to make me part of who I am. I'm very aware that I don't get to do what I do without other people that see me and my gifts. And so I'm grateful for them. I'm not going to ride on other people's coattails without being able to say thank you. So a lot of gratitude. One, I'll probably make some wisecrack joke. I'll probably cuss a lot. (laughs) And I would tell people to live their passion. So many people are living like robots. They go to jobs that they hate because they like the paycheck, but then they have no life to spend the money. Do what you love. I mean, that's why I sold my house. and That's why I travel the world is because... I'm not going to wait till I'm retired to do it. I want to do it now. I could die tomorrow. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So I'm going to do what I want to do and live how I want to live now. Not when my bank account is full enough or not when my kids are grown. Not that I have children. My cat is grown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess my plants are grown. I don't know. Um, like, like I'm. <laughs> you, you love how my brain works. Yes. Eh? It's just live the way you want to live now and don't ask for permission. I have friends. I mean, you and I had a conversation just the other day where you're like, my friend bailed on a concert and I don't want to go alone. I'm like, you'll never regret staying home. You'll regret not going. And I went. And and it was fucking incredible. It was was epic. Yeah. And so I go to restaurants by myself now. Was it hard? Damn straight. It was hard. And did it suck when they put me in the back corner beside the bathrooms? And now I have to say, hey, I really love this table. Can I sit here? (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, oh, but you're by yourself. I'm like, I don't care. I walk down the street by myself and people see me. Why can't I be seen in a restaurant by myself? I live fiercely. You know, my friend who just passed, she was dealing with cancer and significant cancer. And there was days where I was like, hey, the Junos are in town. She's like, when is it? Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah. Right? I'm like, hey, Stampede's in town. This show's going on. Do you want to go? Yes. And it didn't matter. She was like, I, I don't know when my time is up. So I'm going to live now, not wait till I feel better. Live fiercely. Live the life you want now because we don't get a do-over. Heidi, thank you so very much for the incredibly beautiful, engaging, inspirational conversation all of the knowledge and wisdom that you've shared and the insights through your experiences and through the work you do. I appreciate you so very much. I tell you this all the time. I am so grateful to be connected to you and just you're an amazingly beautiful human being. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for you taking and making the time to be here with me today and share and to finally have you here on the podcast is an absolute pleasure and honor. So thank you. Thank you, Brad. And know that you're important to me, that you make a difference in my life. And I love how you show up because you always do. You're always checking in on me. I appreciate you. I know what a big impact you have on so many lives because of the work that you're doing. I want you to know it's seen and who you are makes a difference. Thank you so much. I take and receive that. I appreciate you and your beautifully kind words. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Heidi Dunstan. She is a grief advocate and educator, an international best-selling author, and the owner of an event management business. Thank you so much, Heidi. I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day. Thank you, Brad. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.